I think it's appropriate to, to come before God and say thank you that you brought our pastor and all of the men back from Vietnam. Amen. Could we give God some praise for that? Could we lift him up? You know, Lexi and I went to New York for a short break, vacation, whatever you want to call it. And uh, we actually went to Hillsong Church located in Manhattan. And their pastor was not there. He was actually doing an interview with Oprah, which I actually watched, which was better than I thought it would be. Because a lot of pastors I've seen go on TV with Oprah and then they compromise most of their beliefs because she's obviously going to corner you. Um, but the thing I thought when I was sitting in service as they had a guest speaker is we are insanely blessed, abundantly blessed, and we take it for granted the type of shepherd we have and the type of pastors we have. And I'm not saying that to brag about myself. I'm talking about my coworkers. I'm talking about Pastor Gary as our leader. I'm talking about Aaron as a dear friend and pastor. I mean, it's, it's incredible what I was thinking when I was there is it's incredible that most churches just have guest speakers because they only really have a main guy that they trust to get up there and put on the sermon. But we have this unit of, of friends and people called to actually preach the gospel. And today I continue in a, a series that pastor's been preaching about Paul and that Zach covered last week. And uh, I want to start by looking at Acts 16, 11 through 15 to get to our text right off the bat so you know where we're going. Starting in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, um, he's talking, first of all, about himself. Okay, this is Paul and Silas, and most scholars believe that Timothy was actually with them, and, and Luke as well. And one of the interesting things that, that dawned on me in reading Acts is that you don't hear anything about Luke, but he is the author. And obviously, it's pretty hard to write a story if you're 500 or 600 or 1,000 miles away. Luke was present in almost every single situation because otherwise, he wouldn't be able to give the report. It'd be second or third or fourth hand. So these four guys, which was, I'm thinking, it's like Tombstone walking down the row, you know? You got Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp and then the two brothers, right? And they're walking. They're walking with this mission because they realize that not only a threefold cord cannot be easily broken, but a fourfold cord is even stronger. And I'm thinking, we got a fourfold cord here. We got more than that, actually. Not just the pastors. We got a lot of people that are bound together for the kingdom of God and want to do something mighty. And God's going to do something mighty today. Today. because I expect it God only does what you expect him to do because he wants to say yeah you believed it I did it he wants you to smile and think my God can do that as all the naysayers that say they're Christians just they just recede back into their caves and say my God can't do that we say my God can do that yeah. right yeah. and so the crazy thing is they're they're in the, in the, I, I got to speed this up because obviously we, we worship for quite some time, but they went to Asia Minor, okay, which we would say would be over here, and you have Mysia up here, and then you have Bithynia down here, and then what we'll get to later, which is of some significance, you actually have what is called the district of Lydia beside the two. And around Lydia, on the edge of Lydia, is Thyatira, which we'll learn about. But Paul actually went in the previous passage, to give you the context to remind you what happened last week, he went to Mysia, 
And the spirit of God forbid him to preach the gospel in Asia. And he said, no, this is not going to happen. And then he went to Bithynia and Jesus himself said, stop. You're not going to preach the gospel here. And there's something I want to point out as we get into the rest of this text. It's what do you think about God? Because that'll determine your response. When I read this message, I thought, so you're going to stop me on one trip. You're going to stop me on the next trip. Usually when that kind of thing happens in my life, I think, fly a kite. Hey, somebody's telling me you, you can't do this, you can't do that, you did this wrong. You grow up with those types of demands on your life in a very conservative and legalistic home or a legalistic church, and you start thinking, I don't even want to be a Christian. Why would I want to preach this gospel when it's just binding people? I want to preach a gospel that frees people. But Paul knew what he thought about God, and so they continue on in our text here. It says, so they, they're setting sail from Troas. We made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. Now, for a little history, Macedonia is primarily now what would be considered northern Greece. And so they go from Lydia, and they actually get on a boat, and they sail across the Aegean Sea to the west, toward America. No, this isn't Christopher Columbus, but they're, they're sailing on over the Aegean Sea all the way over to Macedonia, which is now would be Greece. They left from what is modern-day Turkey, which they could have traveled up over what would be considered a bridge of land through Istanbul, but it was quicker to go through the Aegean Sea. So they wanted to get there and get on with their mission. It was 400 miles Paul had to leave from Asia to travel all the way to Troas, we drove to New York, and it was just over 800 miles. It took us 12 and a half hours. I can tell you I do not want to go back right this moment because 12 and a half hours in a car is terrible. But they walked, rode donkeys, rode camels. What was their transportation that day? They were sore. This was torture. We don't even comprehend the type of things that Paul would do because he thought highly of who God was and what God told him to do. We can hardly get off the couch or get out of the bed on Sunday morning. And he's walking 400 miles and then getting on a ship and almost dying. You know how many times his ship had, had been wrecked? So continuing on, it's, Macedonia was a Roman colony, which Asia Minor was primarily Roman as well because Rome had been continually trying to take over as much territory as possible. And they had provincial governors or leaders in each area. And he said, we remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. The, the interesting thing about this place, which Philippi in, in, is inside of Macedonia, this place, and Paul has got to be asking God, now what in the heck are you trying to have me do here? Because there's really no synagogue. And they, they, they walk outside of the city where they thought maybe we'd find some semblance of believers. Who knows? And they find a bunch of women sitting by the riverside. And Paul's thinking, it takes, according to the Jewish tradition, it takes 10 or more men to form a synagogue. Whether there's a building or not, it takes 10 or more men to have worship together. And Paul has to just think, well, forget the rules. Let's go talk to these ladies. Just like Jesus said it to the woman at the well, forget what you guys think about walking through Samaria. I'm going to reach her. Forget what people say about whether we can evangelize in Vietnam or not. We're going to talk to people. Ten people are saved. Because you're willing to risk it, God is willing to give the increase. It's happening. 
I thank you, God, for what you've done. I thank you for what you did on this trip. We don't thank God enough. We forget God. We don't thank him. Finishing out this passage here, and we suppose there's a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I don't like acronyms, but I'm going to give you one this morning because sometimes I can get off point and I have an acronym to follow. It's a roadmap. So, and it's not going to be boring because I think these points are going to actually challenge you. This acronym is trust. And I ask myself the question because I oftentimes feel anemic and, and not very powerful in my own life. I ask myself the question, how did Paul stay powerful for the long run? How do you make it for the long run? Do you know how many kings of Israel and how many supposed people that were supposed to be disciples fell away and just faltered and turned away from Jesus altogether? You know how many pastors across the country quit every single day? You know how many people, they go on the show with Oprah and in a year or two they're saying Jesus is not the only way? They're saying that maybe Mary wasn't a virgin and they're destroying the foundation of what we believe because of fame? Your thoughts about God, okay? The T in trust is this. Your thoughts about God is what the T is. How highly do you think of God? How high is he to you? How big is he? How high is he? Isaiah 55, 8 says this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. So when you want to put him in that box, blow that box up with some dynamite because that box cannot contain our God. Your thoughts determine God's position in your life. Your thoughts, they either make God high thoughts, put God in a high position. Okay, I'm jumping forward. You place God in a high position above you and, and amazingly you have this increase in faith saying, I can do amazing things because I understand how high he is above my circumstance. And the crazy thing is the Bible says that you are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And so he doesn't only have that heavenly view down into your situation. You have the heavenly view and everybody else is wandering around you know we were on the sidewalk in New York there was a Clinton Foundation thing going on with a bunch of uh, actresses and actors and we we're standing there with probably 400 people cops lining the streets and one thing I learned and we were shouting put Hillary in prison <laughs> well, there were a lot of people Trump the crazy thing is, I wish there were some relatively normal people that were there, for, like, screaming for Trump. Trump! He's got an old flannel on with holes in it. It's like, how did you even get to New York? You look like you're from Kentucky. <laughs> but, you know, the position of God is determined by how you look at him. And what I realize is a lot of us, we can't see God because we don't realize he's up here. And one of the things I learned is that I'm blessed to be six foot three and a half or six foot four, whatever it is, because my wife's like, is that, is that Anne Hathaway? Is that Hugh Jackman? 
I'm like, uh, I don't know, but I can see. You know, a little Lexi, and you got all these people, you these big Australian guys, hi, mate, standing next to us. And she can't see a thing, but the reality is it doesn't matter how tall you are. It matters that you know where God is in your viewpoint. Mediocre middle ground thoughts leave you staring at the back of someone else's head. You can't see God because you make God equal to you. Too many of us are making God equal to us. Yes, God is our friend. If we have a relationship with him, he's our friend. That's who God is. But we're making him equal by the fact that you get up and you don't even talk to him. You don't even open the word. You don't even listen to a sermon. You don't even say, God, please guide my day. And God says, you have not only made me equal, you've put me in the gutter. He's, you're walking over top of God. He's in the sewer. You have low thoughts. You make him a gutter God, a sewer dweller beneath your feet. And that is, it's despicable. It's what we do all the time. You do not respond well to the voice of one that you do not think high thoughts of. Just come on. If everybody who is rebellious and disrespectful throughout my course of ministry, I just say they don't think highly enough of the person they're disrespecting. You only respond positively to the correction of the people that you think amazingly great thoughts about. And when you think great thoughts about someone, they have your heart in the palm of their hand because you trust them. That's the whole idea of the acronym. You have to think highly of God in order to trust him and be a powerful agent of revival. How high do you think Abraham thought of God when he put Isaac on the altar? How high do you think Moses thought of God when he was sent into Egypt where all the rest of his people were enslaved and he had to tell Pharaoh, let my people go? He was a big chicken about it. Exodus 3, I can't talk, sent Aaron. Come on. Some of us are just like Moses. You don't realize that a lot of times the most reluctant leader can be the most powerful leader. And you're just pushing God off. Don't, don't. All you people that have been pushing God off for so long, you got to listen to this. I tried for a long time, and when I finally gave in, God just came in like a rushing flood. He took my life. I was reluctant, and then I got redeemed. I received the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you need to maybe not receive the power of the Holy Spirit in salvation. you got to receive the power of the Holy Spirit today because you're not walking in the power of God. Acts 16, 11, let's go to verse 11 just for starters. So, um, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and in the, in the following day to Neapolis. Do you realize that when you have a call from God, you don't waste any time? You're taking the most direct route to make it happen now. Do you know, I've, I have learned this in my own life. I'll be, I remember going to college group at Wellspring. I'm, I'm introverted. I don't want to talk to anyone. I am a construction worker. I had a problem with alcohol. I'm still struggling with those thoughts. I would stand in the corner. Like, if God would have told me someday you're going to be leading the college group, I would have said, whatever. And, and the reality was every time I'd go on Sunday night, I'd be like, God, God, I, oh, I don't want to say this because once I say it, I'm, I can't turn back, but please just use me. Just use me tonight. And I'd stand there and God say, go talk to that new kid. I'm the new kid. Why do I got to talk to the new kid? Have the veterans jump in. I'm a rookie. 
I'm new. I don't know what to do. And God would say, go talk to him. And I'd be like, hey, um, I'm, my name's Nick. Yep. And then, and then finally, after I quivered a bit, I'd get into it and I realized that people need love. That the thing I needed, I needed to start giving it out rather than thinking, give it to me. I'm the new guy. I'm alone. I'm in the corner. No, stop sobbing and crying, people, and realize that you are the love that someone needs in their life. You are the love someone needs in their life. You could save someone with a text or a phone call or a hug today. If you're walking in the Spirit, God brings people to mind. He directs your path. The positioning of God in your mind determines your prerogative. What's a prerogative? It's an exclusive right or a privilege. A right or a privilege exclusive to you. And so Paul had this prerogative, all right? And, and it was a powerful prerogative because he saw Jesus. And what, you know, you may not think much of the opening lines of most of his letters, but Paul always, always, without doubt, does not forget to say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Huh? We should say, Nick, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am different. I am new. I am changed. I'm not giving in to you, Satan. I'm going to kick you in the teeth. I'm going to bring people with me. I'm going to punch you in the face, Satan. You cannot have this territory. God, increase my territory. That's what we should be saying. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, because he saw Jesus. Did you know that your vision produces your provision. What does that mean? You have the most massive camera of a, of a, of a head and a brain and eyes. It, it forms this perfect snapshot that is daily taking pictures, daily what you are looking at. Your vision provides your mind with what it will think about. Do you understand that? So your thoughts of God are highly determined by what you choose to see, what you see you will be. That's how it is. What you see, you will be. And so all of you are wondering, why am I just struggling? Because you're looking at the wrong stuff. Look to the heavens. When the typhoon comes, you're going to look at the ground. Oh, man, it sucks. No. God says, here's your opportunity to trust me. You should praise God you were in the typhoon because he took you out of it. Right? Many of you are missing the boat because you won't even take, you don't even, I won't, I, I'm not into those mistrip things. <laughs> you guys read the Bible four hours. I'm usually up at six. I'm splitting wood and then I'm eating my breakfast and then I tap my, I tap my wife on the shoulder, say, I love you, babe. And then I get in the truck and I go on the road. I'm just, just no, hold on a minute. You, that wasn't just for Bob Niemeyer either. It was for Jed, too, because he drives truck. And Andrew. Right, Andrew? <laughs> no. Your vision is your provision. You know, we, we were watching the movie. Lexi loves it. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Lord, would you please make it illegal for this movie to be in existence? Just take it off the shelves. Divergent. It's such a good movie. The whole thing's narrated by the main girl character who's like, eh, eh, eh. And I'm like, I'm always like, that's so unrealistic. She just beat a guy up and he's like 220 ripped out of his mind. He would have been like, and she's knocked out. <laughs> it's like, you can look at her and she, she's not even that, that athletic. 
divergent. Her, th- there's a point I want to make out of this. That she's a part of a faction, you know? You got Dauntless and you got all these factions. And I can learn something from movies I really don't like. Um, she's a part of the faction abnegation. And there's something really powerful because some of you are not realizing that you go to the store. And I'm actually convicted because, you know, we're in New York. We're like, we have some money we set aside to go shopping because we enjoy picking out clothes and stuff. And I'm thinking... They had this rule on abnegation that you could only look in the mirror for a certain amount of seconds. And you know how often we, as Americans, just, oh, buddy, oh, just, I'm out. See you later. It's all you needed to hear. Because we're so in love with ourselves. We are so, oh, man, I have a blemish. Oh, you don't realize in abnegation, what was the purpose of abnegation? It meant selfless. We should just take up the same mentality and say, not so much time in the mirror dressing ourselves up. We take, why do you think the Bible actually said things back in the Old Testament about braiding hair and wearing earrings and doing certain things and tattoos? And I'm not a legalist. I'm not going to judge you and kick you out for those things. But if your identity is wrapped up in those things, you can't possibly see Jesus because you're making yourself not, you're not natural anymore. You're synthetic. It's fake. You're taking some product and trying to recreate yourself, and God's saying, I made you perfectly the way I wanted you to be. You know, Paul gets on this course, and, and he, uh, he, he's going through these steps that I think are important, if you can put those up. The steps of position. Okay, God gives you a position. He gives you a prerogative which determines your position. You're now an apostle, and you're meant to preach the gospel. You're now a Christian, and you are really actually meant to evangelize. Is that a surprise to anyone? Did you evangelize this week? Because the, pro- the problem is most churches, it's like 1% of the church is evangelizing. The rest are like, well, I don't know, that was a decent sermon. Come on, people, we need to take this seriously. Paul has a position, and then he has a purpose. And most of us, this is how it is because, you know, Rick Warren wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. We get a position, I'm a Christian. And then we, and then we get this purpose, and, and yeah, gangbusters, and, and we don't even know what to do with the purpose. We don't know what that means because we skip the final steps. We don't understand God's plan, and we don't understand the path he wants us on. And Paul has to reconcile and say, okay, I'm going to listen to God into where I need to go. And I'm going to go and minister to these people even if I don't totally understand. So the next, the R in the trust is right thoughts about self. Thinking highly of God produces right thoughts about self. Because Every person that's got the argumentative and critical spirit, I can promise you, you're not thinking properly about God because God ordained the people that are meant to minister to you and you should be receiving it, trusting that the Holy Spirit actually works inside of me this morning, works inside of Pastor Gary this morning. God is speaking to you this morning, many of you, because you have wrong thoughts about self. Many of you are filled with pride and many of you are filled with false humility. Many of you, you cannot receive because you're trying to judge whether I'm preaching a good message or not. There needs to be a point where everybody goes and reads the passage where Paul says, you are not to say I follow Apollos or I follow Paul or I follow blah, 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 blah. You're to say, I follow Jesus and I'm going to be have an open heart like Lydia did every time anyone preaches to me and I know they're a true preacher of the gospel that sets people free. Only when your thoughts about God are accurate will your thoughts about self be accurate. 
When you discover God, he discovers you. When you discover God, he discovers you. He takes off the layers of garbage and the facade that you had on for so long. I'm this person. This is my image. This is who I've become because this was my childhood and these were my parents and this was my job and these were the mistakes I made. But your mistakes do not make your future. God makes your future. The mistakes are behind you. The past is behind you. Leave it be. Oh, man. When you discover God, he discovers you to you. He doesn't just discover you and say, well, here's who you are and this is for people to see you. He says, here is who you are. Now be alone and, and, and grapple with it because that's who you're meant to be. Most of us, we don't spend enough time alone with God to even have an idea what his dream is for our life. We don't, you know, I give Martin Luther King this, King this credit. I have a dream. At least he had a dream and he carried it out. Now, I don't, I don't say I agree with everything he did, but he believed something and he lived it all the way to death. That's what Jesus did. Is that what you're going to do? All of the apostles, except for the apostle John, who got exiled to the island of Patmos, they all were killed. They all were martyred. It's a rarity in our day to hear of anyone killed, to hear of anyone who has to give something up for Jesus you have to actually sacrifice. You actually have to say, I want to be abnegation, the faction abnegation. I want to be selfless. I want to give it up. I want to give it up for God. I want to give it up. I'm going to give it all up. Paul had to reconcile that no matter how many journeys he had taken, no matter how many things he had done, no matter how intelligent he was, because he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, no matter how far his Roman citizenship could get him in these Roman colonies, he had to resign to the fact that God wanted to use a woman who was selling products by the riverside. Oh my gosh, God, no. You mean you're going to use the woman from Divergent over me? Oh my goodness. I got it all wrong, God. God's saying, no, I don't need your ingenuity. I don't need your creativity. I need your submission to me. I need you to say, I am low and God is high. I am not powerful, but when I surrender, I am powerful in his sight. God wants to use you. He wants to use you. Jeremiah 29, 13. Everybody says, Jeremiah 29, 11. Therefore, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. And it's, the, it's the girl that stands up. He's like in the millennial generation. Says, Therefore, I know the plans you have for me. Even though I had sex last night and got higher than a kite, I know those plans, God, and they're good for me. Oh, praise God, praise God. Let's sing another worship song. Let's sing another worship song. Oh, man, my mascara is messed up. Come on. Oh, buddy, let's, let's have a little foundation for what we believe. Let's have some building blocks. Let's have something to rest on. When the war comes, you can say, you can't knock my wall over because God built it. I know what I believe. I know and am persuaded that until that day, I will stay true to Jesus. I will not compromise. I will not give in to this world. A.W. Tozer wrote, he wrote, Seven rules, self-discovery, and I'll go through them quickly because i got to get to the rest of what I want to say, but you got to think about these. Oh, buddy, what we want most, what we think about most. What do you think about most? What you think about most is what you become, how we use our money. Oh, don't go there. Oh, don't go there. I bought a $28,000 used car this year, but I sure can't give 1000 to the church. 
Because those saints, man, they'll find a way. They'll dig through trash to make it. Those people in the other countries that need Jesus. Come on, don't you realize that you're investing in what God is doing in other people's lives? You're investing in what God just did with the guys that came back and almost died because they care less about themselves and more about the people that need. It would have been worth it even if they all died because several people got saved. Now, that would have been a horrible situation for a lot of people, but I wish we would be mature enough to reconcile it. Like the man who wrote, it is well with my soul after his family had died at sea. It is well because God is with me. What we do with our leisure time, how many hours do you spend on Facebook a day? Oh, buddy, how much time do you spend primping in the mirror? How much time do you spend watching TV that's garbage, filling yourself with the wrong stuff, and, and, and gossiping about other people? We don't address that very often. Who and what we admire. You were standing there, and there's this Clinton rally, and Bill Clinton was actually there. Um, we took a picture together. He said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. No, we didn't take a picture, but he was there. And, uh, you know, I said to Lexi, man, X-Men is like one of my favorite series. And I really, you know, Hugh Jackman, he, I don't even think he ended up going there, but he was supposed to be there. And I'm like, I don't have a lot of respect for him anymore. I don't have a lot of respect for any of these people because we, we actually watched it. It was live stream. We couldn't go inside, obviously, but... Um, it was so lame. You know, the liberal thinking, it's all just intellect that amounts to nothing powerful. And, you know, the churches, they say, well, we got to be accepting of that person and this person and their ideas. And, you know, it's okay that he went off the, off the wagon. No, stop. The loving Christian says, no, you once believed this, come back. Come back. We stand for something that means something. What we laugh about. You know, I've been convicted that, you know, I... I'm not Trump, but I am a guy. And guys will say dirty things. And I'm not saying horrible, terrible, sexist things. I'm just saying guys will make stupid jokes. And it's like, is that honoring to God? If I'm going to hold my friends and my family, like I said, I held my brother to a certain standard and said, you say you're a Christian. I need to hold myself to that standard. The, the you is understanding God's plan. And I'll just say something very simple here. And this maybe won't make a lot of sense. Maybe it'll make sense a couple hours from now. Understanding God's plan. Okay, here's the best way to understand God's plan is to understand that you don't need to understand God's plan in order for God to carry out his plan. Oh, you don't need to be the master of every ship. You just need to get on the ship and trust. You just need to say, take me away, God. You can use me. Just send me. Well, it was, this is a very odd thought, but it came to me as an illustration of my own life. And it, it used to mean just whatever, carnality. I wasn't a Christian in high school, and it, I was a senior, and my best two, my two best friends, um, my, the, the, the fullback, who was our best running back, and the quarterback got injured, and then our best receiver got injured, and our coach basically gave up on the season, and we had a good team. So we're in the playoffs, and I grew up playing halfback all the way up to sophomore year, but I got moved to tight end. And I would have been probably a good candidate to play running back because I cared and I knew that we had a halfback who was a transfer, and he didn't care whether we won or not. He's just like, well, whatever, this is a good thing. I've never played football before. I mean, he was fast, but he didn't care. And in the locker room afterward, he said, yeah, it's whatever. We're all like, the, the, the football career is over for most of us. And I know many of you can't relate to that, but it's, it's a sad thing when you actually care about something like that, and you put yourself into it. It's done. Most people don't play football beyond high school. And, and I'm over that now, but in the moment... 
This halfback says, I don't really care we lost. I'm ready for basketball. And we almost killed him. He fumbled the ball three times in the game. I begged my coach, and my friend who was the fullback who was injured begged my coach, let Nick play. I, the, the, the reality is I wasn't as fast as him, and this is how it goes with God. I, I wasn't, I'm not as intelligent as some people. I'm not, I'm not as, as maybe good-looking as some people, and I don't have the sphere of influence some people have, but I may want it more than you. And if I want it more than you, then we, might, we just might still win. Because God doesn't take the greatest. He takes the people that want to submit to the greatest. He takes the ones that say, use me. I suck, but use me, God. Please. I literally was thinking, man, I, I cried after that game. I cried like we literally thought we were going to win the playoffs. So we would have stayed healthy. We may have. Coach would only put me in the fourth quarter. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, I wanted it, and he didn't care. Do you realize in Christianity, I, I told myself if I would have got that ball, I would have done everything possible to get in the end zone. We only lost by one touchdown. And you realize he didn't care. Some of you, you don't even care. You, have, you are so gifted. And, and God's like, I have given you these sticking gifts, and you're ripping me off. Submit to me. Use your gifts, people. Use what God has given you. Even if it's just a simple line of encouragement rather than having self-pity all day long. Pick it up. Come on. Christians are becoming the minority because we're all compromising and nobody dares to speak out anymore. Who cares if they think we're lunatics? We know what we believe. Trump gets blasted in our, in our world because nobody can handle someone that's just straightforward. I know that everything he says is not persuasive and amazingly eloquent. Wrong, wrong. I know, I know, I know that. But you know what? He stands for things like not killing babies. Come on. He stands for real things that God has simply said, you are going to go the way of Rome. You are going to go the way of Greece. You are going to go the way of Persia. Do you know that Rome was also a republic in its, in its beginning? And Augustus came in after it started to fall apart because of all the immorality and all of the, the poor justice system. And he came in and said, I'm going to be, it became an autocratic society. He became the one ruler and it just made it worse. And do you think that Hillary's not going to try to run this place like it's not an autocratic system? She already does. I have to close, but I want to get to my last two points. You know, Lydia, the crazy thing is Paul thinks, I'm the one that's got to bring this message. And, and sometimes you think, I'm the one that's got to bring this message. I'm the one. And God says, hand the ball off. Delegate it, because you're not the one. You may be the most qualified, but you're not the one for this situation. And Paul thought, I, I, I have a Roman citizenship. I am I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm supposed to reach these people. And he thought he was supposed to go to Asia, and God said, no, I want you to go to Macedonia. And he meets this lady, Lydia, and he just thinks, okay, God, I'm just going to do what you're telling me to do. I don't know what's going to happen. And she's, she's the only one, really, that it says even got saved. And she gets saved and gets baptized, and she prevailed upon them and took them into her house. And, and this, if this is not what Young, who is in Vietnam, took all the guys into his house to a party of like 100 people, if that's 
not a good parallel to what's happening. I don't know what is. We need to just go all the way across the world to reach one person who can reach 500 people or one person who can reach one person who can reach one person who can reach one person. We have mega churches in this world where everyone goes and praises one person and many of those people are not even reaching one person. You have 10,000 people in an auditorium saying praise God Stephen Furtick, praise God all these people and the fame is taking them down. Watch what they're preaching like. Watch what's happening. They cared more about their body than they care about the body of Christ. They care more about carnal things and money and getting ahead and we need to come to a humble position and say God I just want to reach one. Just one God. Please. Lydia was a seller of, of purple. Okay, what does this mean? What does this even mean? I, I'm like, what, is that, what does that have to do with anything? And it says that purple was the most rare dye in all the world. And Thyatira, where she came from, she moved to Philippi, actually had a guild where they would take all of these tiny little shellfish, which is where they got the purple dye, and they would take and they'd use the guild and they'd press it and they'd make the dye so that they could create fabric that was purple. And since it was so rare and expensive, it was almost like gold and only, only royalty could get their hands on purple. And Paul's thinking, I get it. The light bulb goes off. I can't go and talk to all the provincial Roman leaders but she can. I can't get in where she can get in. She's got a sphere of influence I don't have. You don't know the influence someone has. I said in college group, how do you not, how do you know that you're not leading the next Billy Graham to Christ? But you decided to sit on your butt. Come on, you could change the course of the nation by evangelizing once in your life. Even for the sake of one, I will preach this message. I don't care if I have a heart attack when I'm done, it would have been worth it. She's a seller of purple. She's a God-fearer. And she, I, I wrote this down because a lot of you need to hear this. A conduit is useless if it's in the wrong location. God's like, I got to send my power, baby. I got to send my power. You got to get in the right spot. That, that conduit's got to go in the middle of the auditorium, the new church. What if we would have put it outside 50 feet? Electricians would have showed up like, you really are a bunch of whack jobs. The conduit's got to be in the center of the auditorium. The conduit was there. Paul just shows up. Here's the conduit, and I'll send my power through her, and she's going to reach Philippi, and she made her home into a church. Oh, man, it's like God knows how to perfectly align things as time goes by if you're walking in a spirit. Because pastor said that, which we all pronounce it wrong, but Literally, I'm not kidding. It's not, I don't want to get off on a huge tangent, but we were like, knee? Is it knee? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, sounds like you're kickstarting a dirt bike or something. I'm like, yeah. He said, okay, on a serious note, he said, I want to, he's been a Christian for what? Oh my gosh, months. He's been a Christian for months. Many of you have been a Christian for 20 years. You're like, oh, I don't know. Come on. Me wants to start a home church. He wants, we are so pathetic. We are so pathetic. We are so lame. Our excuses are so lame. Come on. I said to my wife in the car home, I think at some point I'm going to run for president. <laughs> because I just, you know, I'm not saying I'd be qualified because I haven't been a lawyer, but look at Trump. Like, all I got to do is like, I don't know, become famous or something, but I'm just thinking, the old qualifications don't even apply. And I, I think, think big. Why not? 
I remember Ryan Pritchard said that in college group once, and I kind of laughed, but I get his thinking. It doesn't matter whether he's president. It's powerful that he thinks great thoughts enough about who God's made him to be that he could actually become president someday. Most of us think, oh, I can't be that. Yes, you could. The S and the T, let's finish this up. These are, these are so important, I cannot even put enough power and emphasis. I can't scream loud enough for you to understand this. The S is surrender to the Spirit's movement. Saturation always precedes salvation. No one's leading someone to Christ if they're not saturated. Saturation precedes salvation every single time. If you're not soaked in Jesus, in the, in the Spirit, you can't do anything. He is our power source. Saturation is also a solitary process. Saturation is not a thing in a crowd of 500 Saturation can be a thing in a crowd, but it is, it is most powerful like Jesus got up early in the morning before the break of dawn and he went to a solitary place to talk to his father alone. And I, I promise you, if you start doing that, if you spend just even a little time in the morning saying, oh, Yahweh, God on high, you are the most holy, I submit, I surrender, and you're gonna move today and I'm gonna move with you. Okay, you're going to set the pace for the dance, and I'm going to do the moves because you want to use me. The final, final thing is this. The final thing is this. It, it doesn't pay to get to the hoop and miss the layup. It doesn't pay to run the ball and trip at the one. It doesn't pay. It doesn't do us any good to try hard and not reach the final destination. It doesn't do you any good to get to the Olympics and to fall before you get to the, to the finish line. The, the race needs to be run. You need to take it all the way. All the way. People, oh man, I know I'm filled with the sports analogies today, but I grew up with a lot of sports, okay? And one of the most exciting things in football since that's my favorite sport, is either a pick six from like the opposite end zone or a kickoff return from the end zone because that's a hundred that's hundred plus yards that they're dodging and weaving and running through tackles and scoring the touchdown. We have too many Christians that fumble the ball and fall over and cry. Come on. Take it all the way, all the way, all the way, all the way. God's saying, I gave you this mission. You need to think high thoughts of me. He said, I gave you this mission. You need to think right thoughts of yourself. He said, I gave you this mission. You need to understand my plan by just saying, I understand. You know your plan, so I trust you. He said, yeah, you need to just surrender and succumb to the power of Jesus' spirit. If the spirit of God comes on you right now, I pray. And lastly, you need to take it all the way. Say it with me. Take it all the way. Take it all the way. God, let's, we come before you. We pray right now. We close our eyes, God, and we pray, we pray, we pray for your power on us. And we beg you to help us to understand we need to think properly of who you are because that directs our path, God. Please, 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 please. And give us, give us the right thoughts about self so we can overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony, God. Please help us to understand your plan, God. Please, please, please. Let us, let us give in and surrender to your spirit and take it all the way till we see you face to face, God. All the way. Is there anybody in here? Is there anybody in here who says, I just don't even know if I have the power of God in me. I don't really, I can't point to a time where I've accepted Jesus. And I'm saying, I don't have what you're talking about. 
and I want it and, and God's speaking to me and I don't even know what this means but I know that I need to raise my hand and say I want to know who Jesus is and I want to accept him today and I'm not going to call you up front I'm just going to say that you this is the most important thing in your life Lydia accepted Christ and her whole life changed I accepted Christ my whole life changed from alcoholism into redemption into a new purpose into a new plan and I trust Jesus with my life does anybody say I need to trust Jesus with my life today and I need to raise my hand and I need to say I need to accept Christ I don't know I have doubts whether I would even see Jesus in eternity don't let pride keep your hand down is there anybody that says I need Jesus God pour out your spirit on us there is no one higher there is no one higher, God. Oh, God. There is no one higher than you, God. Praise be God. We're going to sing our way out today. There is no one higher than our God, and there is no one who sits on the throne. Jesus, you are the ultimate. You are so powerful and amazing and unique, God. We praise you. Do we praise him? We praise yes, you, Jesus, and thank you for your blood. We thank you for your power as we sing to you, God. We give you all of our praise. Please take us over today, God. We sing to you.